Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny and purpose in your lives. You've come to the right place if you're hungry and thirsty. For those that are new, I want to point out to you that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com. That's ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book with very original writing and understanding by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And you can read that, and there, there's a lot of print highlighted in red. Those are very profound and amazing YouTube videos when you click on those links that show from many fields of science and archaeology that what I am sharing here is indeed the reason for which all things exist and consist for which you are alive. And I want you to discover your ultimate purpose and meaning and destiny. Now, this is a message about the very source of reality. And what is the very source of reality? The very source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, which is who the one true eternal God is. I'm not going to be in this message going into a lot of description about this for those that are new, because you can check that out at where I just told you about. And I should have mentioned here that I will be having a series of videos coming up soon that I am producing. I'm being very particular on this to make it very professional, so there'll be a lot of new features also in my messages to make these messages a lot more professional with introductions and so on. But the um, message that I have in those videos that are coming up We'll be showing from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I'm talking about. Instead of going through the book, you'll be able to go through kind of a documentary on this. And we'll be answering a lot of very hard questions. And I've written a book recently, which you can get on the internet, which is titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which is all the amazing accounts of people that have been highly confirmed have been dead by doctors and medical equipment for a long time, such as Dean Braxton and many others that I could name. And so that book is about the afterlife and all the empirical evidence behind all of these different experiences that people have had that have died. But this message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. The very source of reality is love and God is love. And I briefly mention for those that are new that this love is so pure and integral that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, freely always chooses the highest lasting good. It is innate in its very being to always choose the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. 
This love is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. And this is the only love that could be entrusted with unlimited authority, power, and life without being, using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it and thus indicative of being the very source of ultimate authority, power, and life. A love that is the opposite of corruption, that is the destroyer of corruption, that ensures a governance or a kingdom that will be everlasting and never end, but always enlarge in creative expressions of fellowship with his creation and with you if you receive him as an individual that is ever going to enlarge in greater and greater creative expressions of fellowship forever. No end, no death. It is because this love does not condone what is contrary to this love, that it is so, that you can be assured of a destiny that goes on forever. But that's not the only aspect of this love. This love is so great, and it always was in the being of God, in the infinite past, beyond the time and space realm, beyond this dimension, for there are many dimensions, as most people know, Nowadays, through particle physics, all the different dimensions that have been discovered that are superior to the physical dimension. This love is able to be so great that you can communicate with this creation on this little speck of a planet in the midst of such a vast universe where there are stars, some of them a thousand times greater in size than our sun, and our sun is about a thousand times greater in size than the earth. Do I need to go into all the details of that? In this one galaxy, there are millions of such stars, and who knows how many planets? And there are literally millions of galaxies. There's more stars than the sand on the sea. And he comes to this little speck of a planet and communicates with his creation as he did in Genesis 18 with Abraham, where three angels, well, three beings that look like human beings, but very majestic. He probably perceived they were angels. You can read it. He asks if he can make a meal for him and he makes a meal and they all eat. And he addresses the leader of those three as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God, which means the I am that I am, the ultimate reality, separate and above and beyond creation. Yes, this love is so great that Jesus Christ communicated with Abraham back there in Genesis 18. And yes, he came and condescended into this world and suffered more than you, a mere creature and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you and for this world so that you could repent and receive his love. How can one reject a love that great? There is no love that can be imagined that is greater or that could exist that is greater. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power and life and authority without being corrupted by it, thus indicative that he is the very source. And so I am here to share with those that have asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, 
who is God communicated to us for those that are from a background that think that we believe in three gods? May it be very clear we only believe in one God, but for God to be almighty, he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation. Those three aspects require you to be in conscious personage. If you are not in conscious personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence, how can you rule or reign over it? You must be in conscious intelligence in whatever aspect of existence you are in in order to rule and reign over it. And you, if you were God, would have to also be in three personages in order to rule over those three ultimate aspects of existence. So there is one God in three personages in order to be almighty in governance over all that is his creation and beyond. God the Father, the originator, Father meaning originator. God the Son, Son meaning expression, the full, very one and only expression of the Father into the time and creation realm. And he can be in many places in personage all at the same time, millions of places if you want, because there can be that many different planes of time dimension. And so it's very personal and very real even if he visited a million people all at the same time in the personage of Jesus Christ. And so I am here to share with you the good news that you can be restored to having fellowship with your Creator. And I'm here to now communicate with those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, as it says in John 17. And so this message is for the churches around the world, and especially in the United States and in Canada, where I am here. And so I seek to hear what God is speaking. There's a scripture that says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us, and I will certainly do that in this message. There is another scripture that gives greater understanding in what I just read, but before I go to that, I want to explain that when the church came together in the beginning, they were exhorted to do that, to speak as the oracles of God. We should always be seeking to do that, to allow God to speak out of us, because then love comes out of us, because God is the very source of love a pure love that is not self-seeking and corrupt. And so the church, when it gathered together, had total freedom in the beginning, as is described in the New Testament. One had a song, one had a prophetic word, a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. There was total freedom to allow the Spirit of God to rise up in you and to speak it forth as you sense the Spirit rising in you. God is calling his people to come into a new order where they allow God to move through each member of the body. That is one thing he is restoring in these last days. And I've written a book on it that you can get on Amazon called Godheadship in Body Invasion. 
It shows you everything that you can do in your assembly to come out of this old order that refuses to allow the fullness of the headship of Christ from fully inhabiting his body. You need to repent and become his house of prayer and holiness and allow the Spirit of God to move through each member of the body and to have that freedom so that it's not like some one person sharing that is a lot less rich than a beautiful smorgasbord of variety from every unique background bringing forth the riches of what they have been going through in the week by communion with God through their trials, through their blessings in their life. Now, I haven't got anywhere here what I want to share. I want to share with you how I share these messages. So I seek to speak, but there's a scripture in Revelations 19.10 that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And when you worship God in great humility and reverence and love for God, in spirit and in truth, you are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond yourselves that can result in creative utterances coming from the Spirit of God. As a song or whatever way it comes forth in the assembly. Out of that river of life, which is his very presence of love coming out of you. And I will seek to do that in this message. I will seek to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And one of the things I do to facilitate that is I cast lots with two independent random applications on the internet to get the possibility of any chapter from the Word of God. And then I share it. And believe me, when you do this with reverence and awe out of love for God and not in a light way, it works if God's leading you to do it. If you do it and you're not right with God and you're walking in sin, no, that would be divination. Don't do it then. But believe me, God will speak. He knows everything. He's, his intelligence is attached to every particle that exists. And he's able to do anything, any moment with every particle, every atom of energy that has been brought forth by his spirit by his supreme and loving kindness, which is so intelligent, there is no intelligence that comes close to it. I want to share with you then what I received, but before I do that, I always also seek by lot to get a particular song, and many times I'm so fussy, I don't want the song because I can't, because it only, the only one I, I want them all to be on a video, a YouTube video where you can have the words that you can watch and where the music is deep meaning and quality and you can sing it and use it on an overhead projector if you don't have any people leading the congregation. And so on my website at loverealize.com, that's loverealize.com, you will see that there's a long worship playlist there. And if you play that stuff, oh, is it ever wonderful. You can't stop listening to it. It's so wonderful because I picked the very best songs you can find. And I remember today, I think it was uh, 363 or something, I was going to read the words, and I went close the hymn book, but I think it was 366, if I remember right. Um, we'll just go there now and see if I can tell you what the words were in the song that I got by lot. Yes, it, that is the right one. 
I'll read a few of these verses, but we will be playing a different song because I want ones that are really good for the congregation. Um, Christ, whose glory fills the skies, Christ the true, the only light, Son of righteousness, arise, triumph over the shades of night. And that is a key statement there that is in my message, that theme there. Triumph over the shades of night. Day spring from on high, be near, day star in my heart appear. Dark and cheerless is the morn, unaccompanied by thee. Joyless is the day's return till thy mercy beam I see, beams I see. Till thou inward light impart, glad my eyes and warm my heart. Visit then this soul of mine. Pierce the gloom of sin and grief, fill me, radiant sea divine. Scatter all my unbelief, more and more thyself display, shining to the perfect day. Yes, let the day star arise in your hearts until the shade of corruption is swallowed up in your life and you walk in the fullness of the light of his presence in this world to reflect his glory and to turn many to the knowledge of him to be saved from eternal destruction and torment. So I want to share with you this song now. We'll go to this song that I chose, which was there, which I realized was also from God and his providence, for I knew how I would stumble onto this song that does fit with my playlist and that you can use on an overhead projector. Here we go. Oopsie daisy all. Sorry there. I turned the sound off by accident with the keyboard. We will correct this very quickly. I had this happen once before. Um, one sec. I'm going to put this in pause.
wonderful. And indeed, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And that is something that we learn is a secret out of the genuine fear of God, is to so abide in God that our lives are laid down if it need be that he would allow us to be called to go through cruel torture unto death. His grace is sufficient. We do not have to fear anything. When we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And who can be against us when God is for us, brothers and sisters? No one. No one. The enemy, everything he throws at you just brings you closer to God because it's just another trial. And out of the death comes greater and greater resurrection. Interesting, I remember a song I was singing earlier and it said, said in this song, death and life, they go together. Yes, death works in us that life might work in you, Paul the Apostle said. And it is true. And the more we are knit together in the body of Christ, the more when our brother and sister is suffering. We are conscious that they're suffering and pray for them. But while they're suffering, we might be experiencing great victory. And then the next time it reverses and we're suffering and they're experiencing blessing. And I've experienced that happen many times in my life in close-knitted relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ where we've learned to love God and love each other. So I want to share with you today what I received by the casting of love, which is God's message to the churches in this hour for this time. So I'm going to bring that up now. And I think this time I didn't even prepare as I should have something. So I'm going to just put something in pause for a minute. And we're going to... So what we have here is on February the 14th of 2023, which is Monday pardon me, Tuesday, um, Judges 7 and 2 Corinthians 2 by the casting of Lot. What is interesting and significant about these two passages is that with two totally different applications, it wasn't too long ago that I re had received both of these passages. And therefore, I believe God is emphasizing something out of these two passages more prominently than he is some of the other things that he's been saying through the messages that I've been giving to the body of Christ. And so we read here some of what I put in the microphone and may have spelling mistakes in it because I didn't bother to check it and just spoke it through the microphone. But I want to go to, um, first of all, point out to you that when I received Judges 7, the last time, it was on February the 9th, five days ago. And of course, this is the account of Gideon and God whittling down the army to a very small number of 300 out of 22,000 men. He said, they're going to vaunt themselves and say, we did it, we did it, and not give glory to God. But many of us are familiar with that account. So I just touch on it at this particular moment. And of course, the other passage I received is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And these two chapters have a very strong and obvious theme between them. 
And I want to share what I have in the notes here now. Again, this might be a little bit at the beginning, hard to, um, you know, the print may not all be perfect here. So I'm going to just start reading. So in Judges 7, the vast majority of the army was sent home be who were fearful, and they were also the ones that would have boasted by that by their own strength, deliverance came. In other words, there was pride which issues from our heart due to failing to love God with one's whole being by loves of the world and idolatrous practices. God had to take do a purging before he could bring deliverance. It was a small remnant that God needed. He didn't need a large multitude. He needed a remnant were totally sold out to God in order to bring that deliverance. We see the same with the disciples. Was it a large group in the beginning with the disciples? And it turned the whole world to Christ in those days. Multitudes came into the kingdom of God. And in 2 Corinthians 2, the church was commanded first to execute judgment upon sin in their midst through a certain individual. And secondly, then there was an emphasis to forgive and restore that individual unless they became swallowed up with too much sorrow. Again, this is a purging of the assembly for it to be corporately pure so that Satan would not have a foothold to attack and bring damage and loss to the kingdom of God in the city of Corinth. Both of these chapters have a purging of pride and sin from the assembly in order that the assembly might be used to conquer for the kingdom of God. And so I want to first of all read Judges chapter 7, verses 2 to 8. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give to the Midianites, in, to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, that I will, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth him, shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that bowed down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man onto his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all of the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men and the host of Midian, 
was beneath him in the valley. Now I could go on and read more in the actual scripture if I want to bring it up. But those that were sent home were those that were fearful. Why do people become fearful? It is a consciousness of loss, according to 1 John. Is it in chapter 4 that it says, Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment? The torment or the uptightness or the anxiety or the stress, if you will, is caused by a consciousness of loss to you. You're conscious, oh, maybe my arm will be cut off. Oh, maybe I'll have this or this happen. You're conscious more of that than you are of the fact that God is with you and dwelling with your soul and spirit in the old covenant and around you and upon you. And the reason for that fear is because of hardness of heart. Because there's not a closer relationship with God, there's more a consciousness of being in your own world and in your own self than there is a consciousness of identity in God and being in God and God being with you and in you. In you in the New Testament, with them in their, with their soul and spirit and in their body in the Old Testament. And God is saying by his spirit that he is wanting us to be overcomers. He's wanting us to be those that are triumphant, that know a fearlessness. When you don't have fear and you are filled with such an awareness of God, how do you have identity in God? Do you get identity in God by saying, oh, I hear all this preaching on positive stuff. That's what I want. Oh, if I hear all these positive preachers, I'm going to be victorious. Well, there's a certain amount of truth to that. But there's a danger in that too. And the danger is that you are having a faith that is not a genuine faith in God. You see, perfect love works. Perfect. It says that faith works by love. And Faith is a moral persuasion in who God is, that he is love, and therefore that he has your best interests in mind. A God that loves doesn't have, obviously, you wouldn't have a mindset that God is against you, but that he's for you. But if you're living an unholy life, it says, if I regard iniquity in my life, in my heart, the Lord shall not hear me. It is very important that we abide in the vine. Vitally abide in the vine. It says, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. And abiding in God involves quality time seeking him. Putting him first before all the things that would would want 
to draw us away with busyness from a relationship with him, even religious activity. If, you, if you're a pastor or a leader and all you're doing is all the outward things and you're not having a life of prayer, how in the, you know, when you love someone, you spend time with them. If you love your children, you spend time with them. If you love your wife, you spend time with them to get to know them and to have fellowship with them. And you're honest and you're transparent. If you're not honest and transparent with your wife, no. Why wouldn't she be? Why wouldn't she be with God? Only if you're refusing or justifying or deceiving yourself to justify things in your life that you know innately deep inside are limiting what is the best for God's calling and purpose in your life. God is saying to his people here that he wants us to know a relationship with him that is fearless because we are so filled with this Faith that works by love, this moral persuasion in God that works by focusing on his love in the two aspects that I described, the integrity of his love, which is the holiness of God, or the defensive aspect of his love that is good. And that means that we acknowledge that God will be severe with us because he loves us that much, that he does not want sin to rob us of a relationship with him that goes on forever. He wants to deal with the corruption in our heart, that it be swallowed up as that song that I mentioned and that we sung, let the day star arise in your heart. I think it was the one I quoted. Until all the shadows flee away of corruption in your life and you're filled with the fullness of God. It says that we all with all saints, being knit together in love with all saints, may be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of God that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you're not willing to humble yourself before God, first of all, if you really love someone, you treat them with great reverence. They're precious to you. They're so special. You are so sensitive to them. You are so sensitive to please them. You are in absolute awe of them. You are in absolute awe. Did you know that those that study the brain, psychologists and whatever else they're called, know that one half of the brain is created to comprehend awe? I saw that video and I've never forgotten it. One half of your brain is created to be in a comprehension of the love of God in awe of whose presence you're in. He is so awesome and precious, the very creator of the universe, the very source of love of all that is beautiful and good, that loved you enough that he came and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross, suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. Dean Braxton, Dale Black, others, Randy Kay, that have been verified to have been dead for a long time, all said the same thing, that the love was so intense in heaven in this dimension that's so much superior to this world, making this world seem like a vague dream. It was so intense from Christ that they knew that if he was, they were the only one that Christ created, he would have done that for them. 
This love is beyond comprehension. But it is severe. And so we can get focused on the severity of God's dealing of the little things that is like little children that we want to hold on to because we think it's going to make us feel so good. Oh, mommy, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to let go of that. And you're going to throw a temper tantrum and a few other things before you let go or you're going to be like a horse that bucks the rider, bucks the rider until it's broken in. It's not easy to die. Some of us die really hard. Maybe that means we'll have a greater resurrection of life when we finally let go. Whoever seeks to save their life shall lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake shall find it. And so we come before God each day, putting our lives on the altar of sacrifice and all that we own and have, out of love for who he is. And we do not look at the trials and the sufferings in our own lives and get focused on that or the suffering that is in this world and say, if there is a God, why would he allow all this? Because you're looking on a very low and shallow plane. You're not seeing the whole picture. You're not seeing that God cannot condone sin. Love cannot condone what is contrary to love. There is severity against corruption in our own lives and corruption in this world. And face it, let's face it, the whole world suffers. But when we suffer, we get to gain more of God and have a purging of the corruption out of our lives. And so I want to read here in Corinthians what it says. It says, and this is concerning the man that was committing incest in the church. And of course, I did bring out those verses here. Those are back. If you want to find the incidents, it's in 1 Corinthians 5, Chapter 5, 1 to 5, where it says, It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily is absent in the body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. He says here you're puffed up. You haven't mourned. You know there's Two strong emphasis in 2 Corinthians 2, that is the theme chapter here, that you'll see. You'll see that Paul emphasizes joy, but he also emphasizes that we should be those that mourn and weep over sin. And if brothers and sisters, we don't know what it is to have a broken and a contrite heart before God, if we don't know what it is to rend our heart and not our garment, if we do not know what it is to circumcise our heart before God, to break up the hardness and the follow ground, we're never going to know a depth of joy radiating out of us. The Word of God calls us to break up the follow ground, to keep our hearts soft and tender before God, It emphasizes very much so in the New Testament the importance of sobriety. I have many times when I catch myself being light and trivial. There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Does that mean I'm not humorous? 
I'm very humorous. I can get really funny. And there's a place for humor. There's a place for a lightness that is not light in the sense that it manifests a commonness towards the things of God instead of treating them as precious. It says here in the scripture about that in Corinthians, and I should go to it probably in the actual, not, not this, pardon me, the, the actual scripture here. I want to just go to that because um, Paul mentioned it here that he didn't handle the word of God deceitfully. For, for verse 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. And in this second Corinthians here, he emphasizes joy as well. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. You see, there's both. There's tears out of love. There's tears out of travailing that Christ might be formed in others, that they might come out of their grave clothes into the abundance that God has for them. And they're struggling against the works of the Satan that are coming against them with the lust of the flesh and so on. You know, it, I was reading the writing of the church fathers and the apostle John towards the end of his life had a burden for a particular young man that was having a terrible struggle in his life. And he followed him as he ran out of the church. And he followed him and he followed him and he followed him. I don't know if exactly, I think it was when he ran out of a church meeting. I'm not sure on that, but I think that's what it was. He followed him up the mountain. He finally got a hold of him. He said, and he did his best to try to help that man come through for God. God wants us to have tears of intercession for our brothers and sisters. He wants us to know both what it is to be broken in his presence and if we don't know what it is to have the, that joy and that love in the form of tears and brokenness, how can we know a great and a powerful manifestation of the joy of faith that the scripture talks about in the New Testament? The joy of moral persuasion in who God is in our lives that manifests forth Maybe I look a lot like a sourpuss. Well, huh, I'm going to be real. Because Paul, it says, and when you read the writings of the church father and Paul, it says he was very sober, sour kind of looking face. But when you talk to him, his face lit up with the glory of God. People know. The world can see through phoniness. The world can see who are the ones that are real. It mentions it here. Those that God is drawing unto himself. Let us go down into the scripture and Second Corinthians, where it says this, and this is such a wonderful chapter here. Now thanks be unto God, verse 14, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and to make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. 
to the one a savor of death unto death, and to the other a savor of life unto life. Those that God is drawing unto himself that have not yet received Christ will sense that life that is coming from us and be drawn onto it. And those that are choosing to go against God will sense the opposite and flee from us because of the demonic influence on their lives. God is wanting us to be those that always triumphants Christ, that know a life of victory because we've learned to love him, not just with words, but with his anointing and presence. And so it's not a matter of being positive and positive compassion, so much as it is a matter of being in a love relationship with God, of faith working by focusing on the love of God in his holiness first, out of which we are filled with the grace of God. Because when you are before the holiness of God, the fear of God is that turning from the heart, that choice to turn from the heart and to acknowledge, first of all, God in his holiness and his severity in our own lives. So that we are brought to a place of great honesty and transparency before God, which is a place of humility. So that the fear of God brings us to the place of humility that drives us to the place of honesty and brings us to the place of honesty that drives us to the place of humility where our heart is circumcised and the ground is broken before God and we are filled with the revelation of him through a life that is learning to reciprocate a love fellowship with God out of the fear of God. And I could talk for a long time on the fear of God. It says concerning the Messiah in Isaiah 33 that the fear of the Lord is his treasure because it is the very secret of the abiding between the triunity of the one true God is the fear of God, is the reciprocation of, of the Father with the Son and of the Son with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in omnipresence. God is wanting us as his people in this hour to be those that are not being deceived. To have a counterfeit church with counterfeit gifts, with counterfeit joy, with counterfeit everything, but a church that's real, that's humble, that's broken. The Lord is nigh unto those that have a broken and a contrite heart, but a church that is filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, so that we can praise God like the apostles and his work, like the apostle Paul did and his, his workers with him in prison, and there was an earthquake. They were praising God, though they were bound and experiencing the pain of those shackles. And so we see here in 2 Corinthians, the purging that is necessary for the church to have the power that Paul is desiring them to have, which is that they would manifest the savor of his presence that would draw multitudes onto Christ. 
so he emphasizes that this man that committed sin in their midst, that the answer is now. Sufficient to such a man, verse 6, is this punishment, which was inflicted of money, so that contrariwise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes I forgive it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And this is the whole thing. God wants the church in this hour to be purged of being puffed up and to partake of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that we are not those that when there's sin in our midst, go around praising God and ignoring it like it's like the church of Corinth is, did. But finally Paul pointed it out to them, and they did mourn, and they did cry out unto God, and intercede for this man. And he was delivered from the destruction in the flesh. He repented. And so... The Lord wants us to be knit together in love. He wants us to be baptized in a love for God and a love for one another that we've never known. It means that we repent of the loves of the world. Sports is a big thing. I am very grieved when I hear pastors talking about a football game and we're here to meet with Christ in assembly. I'm sorry. I recently saw on the Stu Peters show, he was making a comment on the last show, which would be February the 13th. When In the beginning of his show, he, he says, oh, you know, I used to like going to the, whatever that thing is called, uh, that was there on, it's called the Big Bowl, I forgot the name of it now, but all kinds of people watching. He said, I'm not watching it this time. He said, these people are singing the Black Panther song. They're promoting same-sex marriage and flaunting in the face of God and you're going to go and watch all that stuff? It is time for you, for the people of God to have nothing to do with love, that it, with that which is contrary to love that condones sin. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. It also says that in Revelations 18, concerning the world system in the last days that we are in, come out from among them, says the Lord, and be ye separate. Purge out the leaven from in your midst. Humble yourselves out of the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. There's no ground that we can have in our lives for Satan to allow us to be used in his hand to cause division or anything else in the body of Christ. It says we're to take heed, lest any root of bitterness among you defile many. We are at a time where the purging must take place in the body of Christ from the leadership down. So I'm calling you to repent and turn to the true and living God today. And 
get this book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's got a strategy for conquering your nation with the love of God, with the gospel as never before. And that strategy begins when churches in your city and community come together to fast and pray for three days. And if you can do an Esther fast, fine. We need to cry out to God. Humble. And then when you go back to having your church services, make your church service a prayer meeting. Don't give me this complaining that there's hardly any people coming to the pre-service prayer meeting. Make your church a prayer meeting and don't have some short service. Have your church service start around two in the afternoon and have it for four hours. And break through with God. Get Godship and Body Invasion on Amazon by David James Thompson. Thank you for listening to this message. God has an abundant life for you. He has something beyond your wildest dreams and he wants you to go for it. Let go and let God have his way. It's time to go all the way for him. It's time to do what it takes to have breakthrough in our lives and to live a victorious life. He wants a victorious, conquering bride church in these last days and you can be part of it. Thank you for listening to this message.